It's Easter Sunday, and you know what that means. Time to get your picture taken with the bunny, am I right? How many of you and your children, when you were children, you went out and you got your picture taken with the Easter bunny? Raise up your hand if you were subjected to that humiliating. I saw a post on Facebook this week, and the, the post read, Easter photo shoots gone wrong. Check it out. Here's a picture of an Easter photo shoot gone wrong. <laughs> Get me out of this. <laughs> Here's another one. Gone wrong. <laughs> no. Here's another one. Gone. Whoa. <laughs> Sometimes it's the bunny. <laughs> And here's, a, here's an old school throwback, back in the day. Yeah! Kids still didn't like it, even back then. If you're a parent and you have forced your child to get his or her picture taken with the Easter Bunny, just leave now. i just kidding. Easter! We are here in the church because we want to set aside the commercialized, chocolate-covered version of Easter, am I right? And we want to talk about what God did 2,000 years ago to change your life forever. We're here to talk about Easter. We're here to talk about how on Friday, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross to take all of your sins away forever. We're here to talk about how on Sunday, He rose up again and died so that you will never die. And then his followers saw him ascending to the right hand of God, where he now reigns, and soon we will be with him. Are you excited about Easter? That's the Easter I'm excited about. I will eat many peeps, but I'm very excited about the truth about Easter. Today we're talking about faith. Faith in this Easter truth. The question is, dead or alive? Is your faith dead or is it alive? We'll learn about this faith, but first let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that at the cross the power of sin has been broken. Thank you for the empty tomb where death has been defeated. Thank you for the risen Lord who is now enthroned with God Most High, preparing a place for us to be with Him. We give you glory for these truths. We give you praise. Teach us about faith and what this faith can accomplish by your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open up your Bibles to the book of James chapter 2, verse 14. <clears throat> the book of James chapter 2, verse 14. It always helps to know who's writing a book of the Bible because then you get a feel for their voice and what God's done in their heart. James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, all right? How many of you have an older brother? Raise your hand up if you have an older brother, all right? Jesus was the oldest brother in the family, but there were more kids. James was one of them. Jude, who wrote the book of Jude, was also another. James did not believe his brother while he lived on earth. Neither did Jude. But when Jesus rose up from the grave, the Bible says, he appeared to James. What is it like for a younger brother to realize his older brother rules the universe? That's every younger brother's worst nightmare. And it was true. 
So this is not being written by just any old James. This is a person who lived under the same roof as Jesus for three decades. Didn't believe the truth about Jesus. And then on Easter, bam, he saw it with his own eyes. He was all in. He became a leader in the early church. He wrote the book of James. And it's, hey, if you can convince your brother that you rose from the grave, two of your brothers that it's true, I don't know about you, but that's pretty strong evidence. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is writing this to you. He didn't believe anything he's about to tell you. But then the resurrection changed that. So it says in James 2, verse 14, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? That's the question of the morning. If you say you have faith in God, can that faith save you? He sorts faith into two categories. Those who have faith and they'll be saved, and those who say they have faith but they won't be saved. Which group are you in? You can jot this down. Here's the first question we have to ask. Do you have saving faith? Do you have saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? This is a probing question that confronts each one of us. It's the most important question you'll ever ask. Your eternity depends on the answer to this question. Can your faith save? Or do you say you have faith, but it won't save you? This verse insists that we need to be, the word used is, saved from peril. How does God see you, the human condition? What is the fundamental basic need that you have in your life? Not to be taught, not to be comforted, not to be loved, not to be, there's many other things, coached, healed. The, The main thing that we need is to be saved. The word is saved. Do you agree with God that at the core of your being, you need to be saved or you won't go to heaven? You have to agree with that or you won't understand anything about Easter. You need a divine rescue. Last week, Lauren and I led a team of 30 people to go to Rochester, New York, where Pastor Brandon, our former pastor here, uh, he was in charge of youth ministry and then adult ministry. He launched a church, a brand new church, and 323 people came. Is that exciting? Is that exciting? A whole new church. And we were there to help. We met Brandon and his family at Niagara Falls on Friday as he was getting ready. Here's a picture from Niagara Falls. There's Pastor Brandon. Uh, And then uh, we've got one more picture of the the falls. Oh, they're beautiful. And they're frightening. And while we were there, we just so happened to witness a rescue. Like, it was amazing. Somebody fell over and they actually rescued the person. Do you want to see it? It's caught on video. Check it out. This is a rescue at Niagara Falls. What? People from my generation know that Superman. Don't give me any new Superman. I just got to name that. 
I don't need any new Superman movie. That's the Superman movie I was watching over the weekend. Amen. <laughs> Saved. The word the Bible uses to tell you your need from God's heavenly perspective is you and I, we need to be saved. Saved means you're tumbling helplessly over the falls down into eternity apart from God. And only God can come down and change that. You have to admit that you need a Savior if you're going to have confidence that you'll be saved. Jot this down. This is good news. Do you have saving faith? You can live with confidence you're going to heaven. God wants you to know you're saved. He wants you to know that you know that you know that you're saved. He doesn't want you to go to bed another night wondering what would happen if you don't get another tomorrow. He doesn't want you wondering if you've done enough. He doesn't want you fearing what will happen if you come into his judgment. And if your primary reaction and emotion at the thought of standing before God is fear, you don't have confidence yet that you've been saved. Because the Bible says perfect love drives out fear. When you know you're loved by the Father and saved by the Son, then you don't have to fear that moment. You can look forward to it with joy. You can live with confidence you're going to heaven, but you first have to admit that you actually are in danger. In fact, peril. And you have to ask God to do something about that or you don't have confidence that anything's been done. You're still trying to swim your own way to the shore and you'll never get there. Do you know what it feels like to be in peril? Let me show you a picture here. Would you swim in this swimming pool? If I, if I told you to jump on in, would you get in that pool? How many of you would swim in that pool? Raise your hand up. No, you wouldn't. If you were in that pool and someone yelled out, shark, shark, you would know the feeling of the word peril. And you'd get out of that pool real fast. You are swimming in shark-infested waters and God throws you a life preserver and says, grab onto my son and he'll save you. And if you're floating on an inner tube like it's the lazy river, not worried about where this life will take you, oh, I'm good, I don't need a savior, you don't understand the peril that you're in. You have to admit that you need a savior. Then you can live with confidence that you're going to heaven. Let me ask you this question. Are you saved? Are you saved? You see, sometimes I talk to people and I say, are you saved? And their response is, oh yeah, I've been a Christian my whole life. Do you know that that can't be true about anyone on the planet? No one has been a Christian their whole life. Maybe you've been around Christians your whole life, but you become a Christian at a point in time when you understand the truth about Jesus and you believe that you need him to save you, then you respond and you invite him into your life to take away your sin. It's called being saved. The Bible also calls it being born again. It's a moment where everything changes in your life because God does something you could never do. It's a moment where all the works that you've been trying to accumulate before a holy God, you decide that they aren't enough. And then Christ's work on the cross becomes your only hope of getting into heaven. Listen, if you're carrying this huge, enormous pile of, of works into the presence of God, thinking that he'll let you in because of all you've done, you'll never do enough. And you won't live with confidence that you're going to heaven. You'll always fear that there's something more you need to do. Are you saved? Can you tell me in a sentence when and how that happened? It could happen when you're five or when you're 95. When did it happen? Your parents can't save you. Your grandparents can't save you. Your pastor can't save you. Was there a moment when you got down on your knees before the God who made you and loved you and said, I need a savior? Do you have saving faith? 
You can live with confidence that you're going to have it if you do. And if you're saved, you never have to worry again what God is going to do with you when you stand before him. Wow! But the Bible also teaches this. Jot this down. You can live with false confidence that you're going to heaven. Write that down. James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? The answer is no. But notice what it says here. This person says they have faith. They think they're going to heaven, but they won't be saved. They have false assurance. This is a frightening truth. Many think that they're saved because they have faith in something, faith in anything, faith, some belief in God who's out there as a power that faith cannot save. Many people think that they're good with God because they've been to his house, they've put some money in the plate, they've gone through some classes and they think that'll do, but that faith cannot save. The Bible challenges us to examine our hearts. Are you living with false confidence? Hey, hey, God just said there are some people standing in the line marked heaven and they're saved and there are other people standing in the line marked hell, but they think it says heaven. Boy, I don't know about you, but I want to know right away which line I'm standing in. I want to know as fast as I can if I think I'm heading to heaven, but I'm not. I don't want to take another step thinking I'm on the road to glory forever with Christ, but I'm not. I'm afraid of what this can reveal about my heart. Is my faith real and genuine? Well, how do I know? Everybody say, how do you know? Thankfully, James gives us some answers to that. Write this down. Number two, ask yourself this question. Do your actions verify your faith? Do your actions verify it? If your actions do verify it, then you can have confidence that your, your faith is genuine and real. So look at verse 15. James says this. He gives an example here. This is a hypothetical. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. So brother or sister, so you're at church and a fellow Christian is poorly clothed. In the Greek, that word means naked or practically Don't even have clothes enough to get dressed in the morning because of how poor you are. In rags. And lacking in daily food. Hasn't had breakfast today or yesterday or the whole week. Living on scraps for the whole month. Wow. James paints this extreme picture of a person who is in utter poverty. And one of you says to them, go in peace. Be warmed and filled. Now, I need somebody to stand up and say that. So who's a volunteer who's willing to, that'll be your line. I need you to stand up and say that. Who, who come on, put your hand up. Who's going to do it? All right, Donna, go ahead and stand up and uh, look, look to your right to this poor, needy couple, and they don't even have clothes. They haven't had breakfast in the morning, and your line is, go in peace, be warmed and filled. Nice and loud. We should boo her. Ooh, come on. Ooh, the nerve of you. How heartless. They haven't even had breakfast all week long. The point is, this is a pretend scenario, but James is you. Hey, hey, imagine this happened in your church and everyone would be like, oh, I can't believe that would happen in my church. That's the point. He wants you to be outraged at the thought. 
But he uses this as an example to teach a spiritual lesson. He says, go in peace, be warmed and well-filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He shared that hypothetical story to show that just how pointless and useless that person is who's like, oh, I hope you get warm, I hope you find lunch, have a nice day. As useless as that guy is, that's how useless faith is without works. Now, he did use this particular analogy because we learn elsewhere there's a struggle going on in this church he's writing to between the rich and the poor. The rich are not helping the poor. Some people are pacifying the rich and they're overlooking many of the sins that these wealthy people uh, are, are committing. Why? Because there was a lot of poverty in the church. They didn't want the big givers to leave, even though James is questioning if some of them are even really saved. All right, so he uses this hypothetical, but he does get a dig in and he's showing that some of these people are not living out their faith. They're not even loving the person who obviously needs love right now. Hey, do your actions verify your faith? And I don't mean do you throw a few quarters in the guitar case of that poor homeless person you pass in the city. If that's all it took, we could all be saved by noon tomorrow. Just find a person and throw a few quarters in. Is that what he's saying, that a few good deeds is all it takes? No. He's saying if you're truly saved, then there will be works, there will be actions that well up from your soul, and you will love other people like never before. In other words, your life will prove your faith. You'll be different. Do your actions verify your faith? It says here in verse 17, so also faith by itself, meaning if you say it, you're a talker, but you're not living it. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He's calling out the hypocrites, the pretenders, those who are going through the motions. They're not walking the walk. And he's saying, you're saying it, but when I look into your heart, do you want to know what I see? Roadkill. Something dead and lifeless that can't save you. Dead faith. He called it faith that can't save. He called it dead faith here. And he's calling out hypocrites. Maybe you've heard it before. Have you heard people who disagree with you in your faith? Have you heard them say, oh, sure I'd go to church if it weren't for all the hypocrites? How many of you heard that before? Oh, yeah, I know some Christians. Christians are the worst behaved people in my life. Why would I want to go to church to be with a bunch of phonies? Jesus is saying amen. Yeah, they're not the real deal. They're talking, but not walking. They're not saved. If all you have is your mouth and your life doesn't agree, your faith is dead. And you're living with false confidence. That faith can't save you. This is true for people of all ages. Maybe you're in high school and you're coming to church because you have to. Mom said, I have to. And you, maybe you got baptized because you had to. But as soon as you get your freedom, you are going to bolt because you're pretending. You're living a double life and you don't care about Christ at all. That faith can't save you. Jot this down. Do your actions verify your faith? <clears throat> Write this down. Faith doesn't work without works. It's not enough to just go through the motions and say it. That's not good enough. It has to show up in your life. 
In verse 20, he uses another word. He said it can't save, and he said it's dead. And in verse 20, he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? He said it's useless. The faith you say you have is useless. Here's a picture of something that's useless. Set this out at your Easter brunch today, and then watch your family suffer. (laughs) Can you imagine a a (laughs) four-year-old? Useless! And that's about as much as your faith will work if it doesn't show up in your life. Here's another thing that's useless. (laughs) Gonna water the garden. No, you're not. Here's another one. Useless! Give me your best serve. What happened? It went right through. Useless. And here's another one. This is my favorite one. Useless. Oh. Man, the guy who invented those should just disappear. I mean, my goodness. Useless. Keep that picture up there. This sandal boot. That's your faith (laughs) without works. Useless. It'll accomplish nothing for you on the day of judgment. It's a terrifying thought. Do your actions verify your faith or is your faith useless? Now you might be wondering, okay, tell me more about this useless faith. Who has this useless faith where they say it and they think it, but it's not going to take them to heaven? Well, there's a list of people in the Bible who, uh, who are found to have this form of faith. You can jot these down. These are bonus notes. The legalists and the Pharisees. These were the Bible teachers in Jesus' day. If you went to a synagogue, the Pharisee would be up there sharing the message. If you went, you know, to Bible college back then and you learned to be a scholar or a scribe, it would be the scribes who would teach you. They were uh, dead serious about their own rules and they hated the rule breakers. The love of God was not in their hearts. And when Jesus showed up and said, I am the son, they rejected him because he got in the way of their system. All right? And what did Jesus say to them? You search the scriptures because you think that God is going to bless you for it, not realizing that they speak of me. They knew their Bibles. Think of these hateful fundamentalists you see on TV who are so vengeful and vindictive and the love of God is not in them. And if you break their rules, watch out. You must not be going to heaven because they're legalists. That's a false faith. The rules of man cannot save. These were the hypocrites. They plotted Jesus' death and murder. And then they got up in front of the people and taught of God's love. They were two-faced. They won't go to heaven. The Bible also talks about goats or weeds. These would be false converts. So, uh... At the judgment, the Bible says that the angels are going to sort so-called Christians into two groups, the goats and the sheep. And you're going to go one way or you're going to go the other. And to the sheep, he's going to say, enter into my father's happiness and we're going to go off to heaven. And then to the goats, he says, depart forever. Uh, And the goats, it's interesting what they say. They say, "But, but we taught in your name. But we heal in your name. But we did all of these religious things in your name. Look at, look at all of our deeds. Look at all of our works. And do you know the last thing that people are going to hear before they go off to hell forever? Jesus says to them, I 
never knew you. I never knew you. You and me, we never connected. Off you go for eternity because you thought you could get into my kingdom without me. Do your actions verify your faith? Or do you have dead faith? The goats or the weeds, these are the weeds that grow up and they kind of, they kind of look like they belong there. They, where did they come from? Also, they could be called tares in the Bible, the wheat and the tares. These are false converts. They're pretenders. They bear no fruit. They're around God's people. Maybe they don't attend very much. Their lives have never changed. They talk it. They don't live it. This is the vast majority of people in our country who think they're going to heaven, but they're not. They've got some religious thing, some badges they could put on their sash, but in the end, they won't go to heaven because their lives don't line up with their faith. There's also snakes. The Bible talks about snakes. These are wicked intruders who have no heart for the things of God. They show up and they say the bare minimum just so that you know, nobody rats them out. They're snakes and then they hurt God's people. They take advantage of them financially or sexually. They take advantage of them. They're snakes. They're wicked people who are among God's people and they do harm to the church. These are wicked intruders and they won't go to heaven. Faith doesn't work without works. The legalists, the goats, the wolves. I think I skipped the wolves and the false teachers. Wolves and false teachers get into the church and they even rise up to prominent power. They teach. There are people in our country who could fill stadiums, write books that sell millions, and they're false teachers. They're leading people astray. They have blogs. They have, they have so many Facebook and Twitter likes, it's crazy, and they're wolves. How do you know? They break relationships apart. They split churches apart. They undermine godly leaders. You know them by their fruit. They deny the faith by what they do. They're money hungry. They fleece the church. They oversell their own power. And they won't go to heaven because their actions don't verify their faith. Faith doesn't work without works that line up with the faith. Jot this down. The Bible challenges you and me to prove Jesus is alive and at work inside of us. There's a tremendous burden of proof placed on you to prove it. Hey, do you live for Christ? Do you live for Christ? To live is Christ, to die is gain. Do you live for Christ? Does Christ live in you? If so, there should be an abundance of evidence. Those closest to you, does your spouse know you live for Christ? Do your kids know Christ lives in you? Do your co-workers know beyond any shadow of a doubt that your faith is in Christ? If the people closest to you have to think it over, Maybe there's no evidence because there's no faith. Are you really saved? Prove it. Well, how do I prove it? Well, in the book of James, he gives us six different trials that can show forth true faith. True faith emerges when? When you're around people who are in need and you love them. You show love to people who are in need. True faith emerges when there's a sickness. You or a loved one are sick and your faith in Christ just shows up. Your hope is in Him. You're crying out to Him. You're not sinking down into the pit of fear and despair. Money. Your faith shows up in your money. You come into His presence. You bring an offering. You give to Him because you know that He loves when you offer to Him. You ask Him and trust Him to meet all of your needs. Your faith shows in your money. Your faith shows up in your words. You say the name Jesus. You tell others about Him. 
You talk the talk. Your faith shows up in conflict when you're in a fight with someone. You manage that very carefully because you know that that person is greatly loved by God and you resolve it because God wants you to. And time. You're willing to wait for God even for things that you need. You don't frequently rush off into sinful solutions. You will wait for God. If that's your life, then that's your faith. And Jesus shows up in all of these areas. But if each one of those plunges you away from God, drifts you further from Him, then maybe you don't have true saving faith. The first evidence that you actually have been saved is you get baptized. The Bible calls upon everyone who's been saved to get baptized after they've been saved. If you haven't been baptized, there's always a giant question mark over what really happened in your heart because you haven't done the first thing that Christ commanded you to do. You haven't put into action thing one that God wants his followers to do, to repent and be baptized. I got saved when I was a freshman in college. I was a drummer in a heavy metal band, and the bass player in my heavy metal band invited me to church. And while I grew up in the church and I did my religious ed, I was baptized, I was confirmed, and, uh, you know, I went to church a few times a year. I woke up to the horrifying reality as a freshman in college that I didn't know Jesus, and I was not going to heaven. And finally, I had to kneel down beside my bed and cry out to him and ask him to save me, and then I got baptized for the second time. Check it out. Here's my baptism video back from my college days. That's me. Why do you believe that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who died and rose again from your sins? And have you by faith received him as your own person, Lord and Savior? Ryan, based on your testimony of faith in Christ, I'm going to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Buried in the lifeless midday. Raised in the life. Wow. Hey, have you been baptized? Have you publicly declared so there's no more mystery? Here's what you believe. If you've been holding off on that, if you've been dawdling on that, now's the time. Question one, do you have saving faith? Question two, do your actions verify and back up your faith? Question three, jot this down. Is your faith in Jesus Christ? So we're identifying two things that will give you false confidence. We just covered having faith, without works. Now we're going to cover having works without faith. Faithless works will give you false assurance you're going to heaven. Workless faith will give you false assurance you're going to heaven. Both of those paths lead you away from God forever. We read about this second point here, or or this uh, third question here, the second form of uh, invalid faith in verse 18. It says, but someone will say, so You ever do this in your head when you know there's going to be an argument and you're like, oh, I know exactly what she's going to say. She's going to say this, and I'm going to say this, and she's going to say this. So James is doing this, but someone will say, so I need someone to say this. You have faith and I have works. Who's going to say that? Someone. Who's going to say it? Go ahead, say it. You have faith and I have works. I knew you were going to say that. Sit back down. (laughs) This is actually a tough one to interpret because James has been saying, I have works and you don't. So who is this person who would stand up and say, well, you have faith, I have works. It almost sounds like an ally. So scholars are, are scratch their heads a little bit to find out what's going on here. To me, the best 
solution, it seems like here's what's going on. There would be a rich Christian who has no love, or so-called Christian who has no love for the poor. James is questioning whether or not that person is really saved, and he's hinting that they're not because they lack love and works. Then someone else stands up and says, well, he has faith. We have works. Meaning it's fine for him to just be a teacher and a leader and a talker and will be the workers and the servers and the lovers. He has faith. We have works. Isn't it okay? And James like gets out the bazooka at this guy or girl. I'm still watching you. And he's ready and he just blows up the lie that you could have one or the other. Either works without faith or faith without works. He says, no, there's no such thing as half off. This isn't Colts. All right. You need faith and you need works. Take one of them away and you're falling into the pit forever. Now, in its original form, it sounds like there was some mediator trying to say, leave the rich alone, they're probably going to be okay, and it was internal, a church conversation. It's surprising how relevant this objection is for our day today, because not in the church, but outside the church, what do we hear all the time? We hear people who say, listen, your faith in Jesus is fine. That's your thing. You have faith. I'm a good person. I have works. Don't you hear that all the time? You have your Jesus, that's fine. But I have my works. Abdu Murray is a speaker with RZIM, and he says the largest religion in the world today is good personism. <laughs> I'll do my good deeds and my works without faith in Christ, and I'll be okay on Judgment Day. It's shocking how applicable this is today. You have faith. I have works. I'll be okay without biblical faith. No, you won't. God cares how you behave, and he cares what you believe. You cannot say, faith is your thing, works are my thing, and we're both getting in. No. You need both. Jot this down. Works don't work without faith in Christ. If you believe being a good person is all that matters, and you can think whatever you want, that faith is futile. It's dead. It's useless. I think this view is uh, reflected well in a woman named Anne Lamott. She wrote a book on prayer. She does not share our faith, but she believes in God. Listen to how she describes God. I think this reflects in our culture how everyone's like, you can believe whatever you want about God. Listen. She says, nothing could matter less than what we call this force or God. Let's not get bogged down on whom or what we pray to. Let's just say prayer is communication from our hearts to the great mystery or goodness, to the animating energy of love we are sometimes bold enough to believe in. We could call this force not me, or for convenience, we could just say God. What a sickening description of a God who has labored to reveal himself to us in history. What a truthless declaration. I can believe anything I want about God and describe him however I want. Try that with your wife. 
If I went up to my wife and said, hey, baby, those black locks of hair on top of your head are just turning me on, and those green eyes are doing it for me, and guess what? She's got blonde hair and blue eyes. She would not be happy about what I was saying about her. Why? Because I'm describing a different woman. That wouldn't work with my wife. And you think you can say anything you want about your God? I'll describe you however I want. You're describing a different God. You have to believe the truth about God as revealed in his word. Otherwise, you're not believing in God. You're believing in yourself and your own thoughts. This faith can't save. Who would make the list of people who have faith that can't save? They're not believing the right things. Well, jot this down. People who hold the other religions, other religions can't save. It's fashionable today to say, well, everyone can believe whatever they want. And, you know, all religions practically teach the same thing. Is that true? Because Buddhists think you don't exist right now. This world is an illusion. You're not real. I'm not real. This isn't really happening. And one day we'll all wake up to the reality that nothing exists and we'll enjoy our non-existence forever. Is that what you believe? Because I think I'm real. I think you're real. To say that we believe the same thing is irrational. They're not the same and they both can't be true at the same time. Hindus believe there are millions of gods in the heavens right now, and they're immoral. They can sin as much as they want. They get into wars, they fight. Is that what you think, that there are millions of gods right now battling it out in the heavens, controlling your life? I don't believe that. That's not the same as what I believe, and both can't be true at the same time. So people who hold to other religions and think that they're going to go to heaven... Hindus believe that life is a game and you get unlimited lives. You can come back and try again forever. You'll never not get another chance. That faith can't save anyone. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save. So please, put aside, it's irrational, it's nonsense to think that every religion can save the same. They can't. That faith can't save. Also, jot this down, churchianity can't save anybody. If you're a religious person trusting your checklist of rituals, lugging all of the religious things you have done into God's presence, thinking that that will tip the scales even a millimeter in your favor. You don't understand grace. Grace is saying, I can't. Grace is going to the cross and kneeling down and saying, Jesus did all the work. Grace is setting aside all of your filthy deeds. The Bible calls them rags, knowing that you'll never impress God with your righteousness. Churchianity will never save you. Liberal Christianity is the next one. I don't mean liberal politically. I don't mean liberal socially. I mean liberal doctrinally. I'm under a steeple. I'm in a pew, but I deny Jesus is God, or I don't think the Bible is God's word, or I don't think that hell is real, or I think people can get saved in other ways. These are liberal theological thoughts that veer from orthodox teaching. And the person who believes that is believing a lie, and they won't be saved. Liberal Christianity can't save you. If your faith is not in Christ and Christ alone, your faith is not working whatever else you're doing. That's a good thing for me to say again. If your faith is not in Christ and Christ alone, your faith is not working no matter what else you're doing. 
When you show up into God's presence, you have to let go of everything other than Christ Jesus. And if you're not holding him, if you dropped him somewhere along the way, you're not getting into his kingdom. Do you have true living faith? Or are you living with false confidence, thinking you're going to heaven, but the wake-up call is coming? And forever you'll regret that you didn't cling to Christ Jesus as Savior. Jot this down. Is your faith in Jesus Christ, what do we have to believe to be saved? Write this down. Believe Jesus died and rose again to save you. This is the only faith that can save you. When I was a new churchgoer, I didn't know much about the Bible. They literally had to spell it out for me. I thought I was going to heaven, but I knew that my sinful life was disgracing God. I did not sleep well at night because I didn't think I was going to go to heaven even though I would say I was going to heaven. And I'll never forget something the pastor said. He said, hey, if you want to be right with God, it's really as easy as ABC. And he made it so simple. He said, A, you have to admit that you're sinful. Meaning in God's court of law, you're guilty, not innocent. Hey, have you ever admitted that in your entire life? Have you ever knelt down in prayer and said to God, I admit I'm guilty, not innocent in your court of law? Have you ever said that to God? I understand that I'm not going to heaven because of my life. That's step one. If you've always assumed you're heaven bound, you haven't even gotten to the go square on the Monopoly board. Step one is saying, I'm a sinful man in need of a savior. F.W. Borum said this, sin is the revolt from divine authority, the anarchy of the soul. And if you look at your life, you see sin comes out of you in a million different ways. It's because there's a sin problem in your heart. Have you admitted that to God? A, admit that you're sinful. B, believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again in triumph to save you from your sins. What do we believe? We believe that Jesus is God's son who came down from heaven. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross, not for himself, but for you. He took your place. And there, because he was a perfect sacrifice, he satisfied the justice of God. Payment made. The final payment for sin was made for you on the cross. Did you have at one point those booklets where you mail in your car payments one after the I had one of those. And getting to the last payment was a great day. Jesus got to the last payment for your sin on the cross. You can't pay anything else if you trust him. But so many people are constantly trying to find ways to solve their own sin problem. It won't work. You have to believe Jesus died for you. Then he was thrown into a tomb. He really died. He rose up on the third day. And then he was exalted to the right hand of God. He's alive now. He can give you righteousness and freedom. He can hand it to you. Only if you take it as a gift. And then he will be alive in you. That's your hope. Have you believed Jesus died on the cross for you? David Bruskes, a uh, scholar, said this. The Bible isn't a book about principles to live by. It's a book about a person to live for. Do you live for Christ? Does Christ live in you? Is there abundant proof that that's true yet? Admit that you're a sinner in need of salvation. Believe Jesus died on the cross to take your penalty. He rose again to save you. And then, see, confirm it publicly. Prove it. Prove it. 
Tell people, leave your sin behind. Get baptized. It has to show. Confirm it publicly. The last verse here says, in verse 19, or actually he responds in verse 18, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from works. I will show you my faith by what I do. I'm going to prove it. And he says, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Meaning, it's not enough to just agree to the bare minimum. Oh yeah, sure, I believe there's a God. And Satan's like, I believe that too. Satan knows the truth, but he will be condemned forever because of his relationship to that truth. He rises up in rebellion against that truth. So the question is, have you admitted that you're sinful? Do you believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again? Have you confirmed it publicly? Pastor James McDonald of our founding church says, if your faith hasn't changed you, your faith hasn't saved you. That's true. Is there evidence in your life that anything is different? Would those closest to you agree? Hey, I want you to know that I know the feeling of coming to a church and wondering if I'm not saved. I was there. I was there in 96. Coming to church, wondering if I was not saved. And finally, after reading my Bible, I understood I was not saved. And I needed Jesus to save me. Maybe you're there right now. I need you to, I need you to look around. Because look, in this room, this room is filled with people who went through that same experience and said, I need a Savior. And then at some point in their life, they grabbed onto the free gift of life. They were baptized. And now... They've been, they've been freed. I want you to know that you're surrounded by people just like you, who God had to reach down and save. In fact, I want to give people a chance to testify right now. If you would say that it's been in the past five years that you gave your life to Christ, you were baptized, you were saved and were baptized in the last five years, from 2011 on, would you please stand up to show us what God has done in your life? Stand up if you've been saved within the past five years. Look at this. Look, within the past five years, look what God has done. Stay standing, stay standing, because God's using your example right now to talk to people around you. Look. If you're here and you're like, I'm in my 20s, I'm in my 30s, I'm in my 50s, I'm in my 60s, how could I now say that I don't have Christ? Look around. We all got to a point where we said, I need to be saved. You're not alone. But maybe today, maybe right now, today, God is saying to you, don't go another day without my son in your life. You've been putting it off for too long. And maybe you could say, this is the year, 2016, this is the year that God finally got me. I've been living with false confidence, thinking I'm going to heaven, but I realize I'm not. Why would you go another day wondering, fearing, worrying? You might not get tomorrow. This could be your last chance. I want to give you a chance to respond like I did 20 years ago. I want you to have a chance to respond to the truth that you've heard. These people are going to stay standing. We're going to close our eyes and bow our hearts. We're going to go to prayer right now. But some of you know today is the day. 
Some of you know God is tapping you on the shoulder and saying, now. The Bible says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I want to challenge you to do something as all eyes are closed right now. I want to challenge you to do something brave and public in response to what God has just said to you. I want you to show that you're asking Jesus to be your Savior here and now. And I want you to stand up right now to show that this is your day. Right now, I want you to stand up and show that this is your day and you're responding and asking Jesus to save you. This is your chance. This is your chance to admit you need what Jesus did. We had five people stand up in the first service admitting that they needed Christ to save them. It says, between you and God, stand up right now and show that you need a Savior. It's great. God is at work right now. people who've said I need this you haven't missed it yet you haven't missed it yet this is your chance to stand up right now to say I need this I need this now I need Christ in my life what are you waiting for why would you go another day without him after all he's done for you He's tapping you on the shoulder. This is your moment. We're about to pray. Stand up. Stand up if he's calling you. Thank you. Father, I thank you for these five or six people here who are saying today, right here, this is the time. Father, I pray with them. In their own heart, they can say this right now. Father, forgive me for I have sinned. I'm guilty in your court of law. Forgive me. Jesus, save me from all of these sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again for me. You are now my only hope. Come into my life. Walk with me through all of my trials. Teach me of God's great love. Father, I ask that you would give these people the confidence from your word. Where it is said, never will you leave us. Never will you forsake us. May they know that that's true. And may your love drive all fear out of their hearts. Jesus, you went to prepare a place for them. And soon you will return to take them to be with you forever. May their hearts rejoice in that thought. And it's in Jesus' name that we all stand up right now and say, 
Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.